You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning. It is so good to see you. Welcome to church. If this is your first time here or you've been coming since the beginning of Rail City, we want you to know you are so welcome here. I'm one of the pastors here at CA Church. My name is Cam Daly, campus pastor here at our Rail City Port Moody campus. Uh, and uh, we're just so glad to gather together, to sing together, uh, to connect with one another. This is what church is all about. And uh, throughout the last week and in the weeks to come, uh, we're actually starting a brand new sermon series called A New Humanity. And it's talking about how we as the church, uh, we actually look different, act different, uh, and experience life different, see life differently uh, than maybe the world around us. It's talking about a vision, a vision for what it means to be human, a vision that is different than maybe what you have heard uh, in other places and spaces. And this vision comes out of Jesus's sermon on the mount. Uh, last week, kind of jokingly, I started, you're going to hear the best sermon of all time. You remember this? And then I read the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So, you know, that was, that was the best sermon, just to clarify. Uh, but it has been coined the best sermon uh, of all time, the greatest, most impactful message uh, ever penned, ever uh, articulated by a human being. Uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount has affected ethics. It has affected people's daily lives. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount has uh, even, you know, contributed to our laws uh, in this world. And Jesus is casting this vision for a new humanity, what it means to truly be human when it comes to following Jesus. And we ended last week uh, with this simple idea that Jesus is inviting us to follow him. And that as we hear his teaching, we have two options. We can reject his teaching uh, or we can accept it. We can reject him or we can follow him. Uh, and, uh, and we saw that come out in the Sermon on the Mount. And over these next few weeks, uh, we are actually going to be focusing specifically on the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are these blessed statements talking about what takes place when Jesus grabs hold of our life. I love the way Cassie put it in that video. Uh, the Beatitudes are what takes place when Jesus takes a hold of our life. These aren't, you know, crushing ideals where it's like you must look like and act like these things to be blessed. Uh, but in fact, when you give your life to Jesus, you'll start to see like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These things will begin to bubble up within you. You'll start to notice these qualities. There's an author, uh, Jonathan Pennington, he put it this way, Jesus is offering and inviting his hearers into a way of being in the world that will result in their true and full flourishing now and in the age to come, eternity future. And so uh, today we are going to begin to dig into the Beatitudes, specifically the first and the second one. And here's what you're going to notice. You're going to notice here that it's talking about this idea of those who are blessed. Now, if you've got a little bit of an English background to you or you've heard the Beatitudes before, you will read these as blessed are these people. Blessed are those who are like this. I was thinking about this idea of blessing. What does it mean to be blessed in our day? Like when we think of those who are blessed, what comes to mind? 
I think for a lot of us, we think of, I'm blessed if I am rich. I've got a lot of financial resources. Or I'm blessed if I have a wonderful spouse or partner. I'm blessed if I have a beautiful home or own property or drive a nice car. I'm blessed if I have a big family or lots of kids. I actually hear people often say, you know, in this context, that they're so blessed to live in Port Moody. You know, oh man, I'm so blessed to live in Port Moody. I'm blessed if I'm happy. I'm blessed if I have good health or I can go on vacation. Uh, or at least in Port Moody, I have to say this. I, I'm blessed if I go on vacation multiple times a year, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm blessed, I'm blessed if I have all my needs taken care of. These are the things that we think about when we think of blessing. And yet Jesus today in his Beatitudes, gives us a very... Uh, Jesus today... Am I back? Okay, good. Jesus today, in his sermon gives us a new picture of, of what it means to be truly blessed. And it's totally upside down from what you might expect. And so, if you're willing, if you're able, uh, please stand as we read God's Word. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. As Jesus turns blessing upside down, let's check this out. Starting in verse 1. One day... As he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. It says, blessed are the, those who mourn. It says, for they will be comforted. It says, blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the statements of Jesus, of what it means to be blessed. Let's pray, and we'll dig into it. God, thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And today, as we read these statements, it's a little confusing. Those who are blessed look very differently than what we have come to expect. I pray today that you would begin to change our hearts and our minds the way that we see those who are blessed in this world, and you would challenge us and change us by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As you heard these statements, as I said, they probably appear odd in a city like Port Moody, in a world that blesses the rich and the powerful and the privileged, and a world that, that calls those who have abundance of family and friends and finances and opportunities blessed, Jesus' pronouncing of blessing feels off and upside down. And it will continue to feel that way 
until you actually begin to understand and see that it's not Jesus' way of viewing things that are upside down, but the world is actually upside down. And once we realize the world is upside down, then Jesus' sayings and Jesus' way of viewing things begin to actually appear right side up. See, Jesus is inviting you and me to be his followers. And when we follow him, we begin to live like kingdom people. And we begin to do things counterculturally. We begin to look very different than the world around us. We become a new humanity with a new way of acting and living and viewing the world, including what it means to be blessed. Jesus says the poor in spirit, the mourners, the humble, those who are thirsty for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peaceful, the persecuted are the blessed ones. See, this word bless, uh, blessed, or, or just blessed, depending how, how you say it, it comes from this Greek word makarios. And it's actually very difficult to translate. In fact, the word makarios, uh, some have said, uh, it, it, you know, have liked to translate as the word fortunate, or happy, or lucky, or even congratulations, Right? So they say, oh, happy. Maybe some of you remember that old translation. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Uh, or favored are those uh, you know, who are poor in spirit. Favored are those who are humbled. Lucky. Uh, you know, or even some have said, congrats if you're poor in spirit. <laughs> for you will inherit the kingdom. But Daryl Johnson, uh, who is a Christian uh, preacher, teacher, author, and writer, uh, he's given us a little bit of a different way of seeing this word, rather than being summed up in one word, maybe in a phrase. He's saying those who are in sync, those who are in sync with God, those who are in sync with God's spirit are poor in spirit. Those who are in sync with God are, are those who mourn and they will be comforted. Those who are in sync with God become humble. Those who are in sync with God begin to thirst uh, for righteousness and goodness and justice. He changes the way that we think about this word. And Jesus begins this sermon with two statements. He says, blessed are, or in sync with God, are those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn. These are the, the, the phrases I want to cover for us today. You see, he starts out by saying, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. This is kind of confusing if you think about it. Because when we think of blessed, like I said, we think of the rich, not the poor. We think the poor have, you know, come across some rough and tough and challenging circumstances. They are not blessed. They are challenged. They are facing difficulty. But Jesus says that they are blessed. That they're actually in sync with God. This word poor, there's two different words in the New Testament that, that uh, can be used for poor. One means those who are just working and working and working just to make ends meet, but they're not able to you know, own any property or own anything of their own. They're just working just to get by. And the second word is actually a word that means those who are so poor and so unable to actually work that they have become beggars. Which one do you think Jesus uses? 
It's the second. Those who have found themselves in such, such difficult circumstances, they are so beyond uh, helping themselves that they need to, therefore, beg. Think of uh, those people as you're walking in downtown Vancouver and they're standing on the side of the road and they're asking for money. I think of a guy who used to stand on the corner of Coma Lake uh, and Lougheed, his name was Duncan. You'd be there every day. I got to know him a little bit over the years. So I would drive by, uh, invite him for food and things like this. But he, he had come to the point in his life where he just, he was at the point where he had to beg to make it. I think of a, a lady Jessica and I ran into who was on the corner um, up on Coma Lake. Uh, and uh, I forget that street, but it's right by No, no Frills. And she was standing uh, on the corner there holding a sign saying, you know, I have four kids. I'm not able to pay my rent. Please help me. And, and we got out. We talked to her for a little while. She was, uh, she was from Moldova, I believe. And she'd just come here to Canada as a refugee. She, she was unable to help herself. She was at the point where she had to beg. People are at the end of the road, out of options, poor in resources and poor in relationships. This is what God is saying. This is what Jesus is saying a blessed person is, is someone who has come to the end of the road. Well, he's not just talking about uh, financial means. He's actually talking about a condition. He's talking about a mentality, a mindset that people who have gotten to this place have. Those who have come to the end of themselves. He's not just speaking about the poor, even though, yes, in Luke's gospel, he says the poor are blessed, or God does seem to have a heart for the least and for the orphan and the widow. What he is actually saying is this quality, he's referring to a quality that the poor often possess, and that is that they, they truly need, know that they need help. It's a recognition of helplessness, a recognition that I actually don't bring a lot to the table and outside of the help of others, I will perish. I appreciate the way the NLT puts it. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Jesus says, blessed in sync with the kingdom are these kind of people. They've reached such a poverty of spirit that they recognize that they desperately need help from something or someone outside of themselves, that being God. They realize they're so spiritually bankrupt that without God's grace and mercy and benevolence, I'm not going to make it. This is what Jesus is talking about. This isn't some kind of classism blessing that those who, who have given up everything and are completely impoverished, those who are beggars, these are the blessed ones. No, he's talking about the quality, the mindset that people that find themselves in these circumstances often come to. The recognition that I need help. Uh, I think of an example, uh, a guy named John Newton. John Newton, he was a skipper on an English slave trading ship in the 18th century. Uh, and uh, and he, although he thought himself to be, in his own words, a decent chap, on March 10th, 1748, he awoke on board to find his ship off the coast of uh, County uh, Dongal in Ireland. Donegal, sorry, in Ireland in um, severe circumstances. He had encountered a fierce 
thunderstorm. And for the first time in his life, he prayed out to God, recognizing his dire need, saying, God, if you're there and you help me, I will devote my life to you. He cried out to him in this difficult circumstances, recognizing that on his own, he may not make it, he may perish. And it was shortly after praying this prayer that the storm began to die down and he survived. He turned to God. He gave his life to him. And later he became a pastor who actually penned the words of Amazing Grace, a song that we still sing to this day. And he penned these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, no one gave him the title wretch. He wrote these words himself, describing the quality of his heart. And it was his recognition of this spiritual poverty that made him actually a possessor of the kingdom. See, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He, he's not referring to those who are just poor in financial resources. He's talking about those who have come to a place of recognition. I need help. I'm in need. I am spiritually bankrupt. I cannot do this on my own. The truth of the matter is, is that you and me and all of us, every person on this planet, we are spiritually bankrupt. No matter uh, how often we go to church or how long we've gone to church, no, no matter how much we read our Bible or say our prayers or do good deeds or do good things, no matter how how often we strive for God. The scriptures give a pretty bleak kind of view of humanity, that all of our efforts are not enough to reach God, that all of our efforts will never earn it or deserve it. God is completely holy and we are not. Why? Because we've all missed the mark. We all make mistakes. You see, kingdom people, people who the gospel and the good news of Jesus has, has grabbed hold of your heart, we begin to realize this reality. It's actually the very first step to becoming a Christian is the recognition that I cannot do this on my own. That left to my own devices, I will not make it. I am not good enough. I need God. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need the gospel. Some people say Christians, oh, think about Christians, they're hypocrites. That's the point, actually. We are. We cannot do it. But when Jesus grabs a hold of our heart, what happened was there was a change of mindset. We became poor in spirit. We recognized our need for repentance. We turned to God. We said, would, would you help me? Like John Newton did. And so this is why we say that the Beatitudes are not something to strive for. We don't strive to be poor in spirit. When we become in sync with God and with his ways, when he grabs hold of our heart, we recognize our spiritual depravity, our bankruptcy, and we turn to him and say, God, I need you to help me. 
There's an author named Brendan Manning who suggested that the poor in spirit are like survivors of a shipwreck. Out at sea, all the things they used to rely on, their past achievements, the accumulated treasures, the titles, the degrees, they simply do not matter. All that matters now is the plank in the middle of the sea that you're grabbing onto and giving you life. He writes this, the shipwrecked have stood at the still point of turning world and discovered that the human heart is made for Jesus Christ and cannot really be content with less. They cannot take seriously the demands that the world makes on them. We are made for Christ and nothing less will ever satisfy us. The shipwrecked have little in common with the landlocked. The landlocked have their own security system, a home base, credentials, credit cards, storehouses and barns, their self-interest and investments intact. They never find themselves because they, they really feel themselves lost. The shipwrecked, on the contrary, reach out for the passing plank with desperation of drowning. Adrift on an angry sea in the state of utter helplessness and vulnerability, the shipwrecked never asks what they could do to merit this plank and inherit the kingdom of dry land. They knew that there was absolutely nothing any of them could do. This is what the poor in spirit are. It is those who are in desperation that realize in my own strength I will drown. But, and, and I desperately need God to keep me afloat. So here's the interesting thing about blessed are the poor in spirit. Is that even the rich, which is most of us, top 1% of the world, can be poor in spirit. Because to be poor in spirit is not to have nothing. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that without God, I am nothing. Without God, I, I will not make it on my own. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. They have become kingdom people. They began to see the world in a kingdom way. The second phrase, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You're going to see that these two statements are connected. But as you first hear it, blessed are those who mourn, it's a little bit confusing. Really? Those who mourn are blessed? It appears upside down. It doesn't make sense. Mourners usually are mourning because they face some kind of tragedy or difficulty or great challenge in their life. There's an author, Nicholas uh, Wolstorff. He wrote in his reflections on this line from Jesus, actually in a book that he wrote after the death of his son. He said, Blessings to those who mourn. Cheers to those who weep. Hail to those with, with eyes filled with tears. Hats off. To those who suffer, bottoms up to the grieving. How strange, how incredibly strange. <laughs> and maybe you feel that way as you hear this beatitude. It's a strange thing for Jesus to say, but it's freeing as well. Let me talk to you about how it's freeing. It's freeing because Jesus is giving us permission to weep. 
Jesus is giving us permission to mourn, to feel sadness, to feel pain, to feel sorrow. These are not qualities of weak people, but actually kingdom people. What? And a world that says, pull up your bootstraps, pull it together. Gracious, you know, could you go and cry somewhere else? Uh, It's kind of embarrassing. In a world where in a funeral, when the family are sobbing uncontrollably and somebody sits and goes, oh gosh. Jesus says, no, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is giving you and me permission to mourn. In fact, Jesus mourned. We see it all throughout the gospel. Jesus was not some kind of, you know, otherworldly deity, alien, emotionless being that kind of came in our midst for a little while and did some holy things and then took off. But he actually experienced the entire depth of what it means to be human, including emotion. And he mourned. He wept. He cried. We see it in the scriptures many times. A couple weeks ago when we were in the series, Behold, the very first week we see as Jesus came down the Mount of Olives and he looked over Jerusalem. He mourned for Jerusalem because they didn't understand the way to God and the way to peace. It says that he, he mourned and he cried. We see Jesus as he looked at the crowds of sick and broken people who began to surround him. It says that compassion came up in his heart. And this this word compassion means to have his guts ripped out. It says that Jesus, it it felt as if his guts were being ripped out as as he saw the the masses come before him, just seeking healing and comfort and forgiveness. Jesus, at the the grave of one of his closest friends, Lazarus, it says that Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in all of the New Testament, but one of the most insightful. It says that a deep anger welled up within him. See, he came to that grave because his friend was dead and things were not the way that they were supposed to be. You see, Jesus mourned. Jesus wept. Jesus gives you and me permission to cry out, to mourn, to feel sadness and pain. And this is important because in many Christian circles, I think there's an expectation of kind of a permagrain Christianity, okay, where we're just always smiling and always having a good day and everything is blessed, right? But Jesus says, actually, the ones who mourn, they are blessed. I think Jesus is calling us to authenticity as followers of him. I don't know where we got this image, like this 1950s, like perfect family, everything is great and wonderful Christianity. I don't know where we got that image because we look at the Beatitudes and we just see that Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. We look at Jesus and his life and we see he is someone who experienced the fullness of what it means to be human, meaning Jesus probably had bad days. And Jesus had moments where he, he cried in front of people, felt deep pain. You're allowed to mourn. And those who mourn will be comforted.
But this morning that Jesus is referring to is, um, it's really a despair. A despair for how things are. As Jesus wept over Jerusalem, it was in light of the fact that they didn't know the way to peace. They didn't know the way to God. As, as his guts were being ripped out of him, as he saw the masses in need, it was uh, all this sickness, all this pain, all this sorrow. When he wept over the tomb of his friend Lazarus, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Death should not enter this world. This mourning is not just a mourning uh, in, in light of our circumstances, but it's a mourning in light of the fact that things are not the way that it was supposed to be. And maybe you have found yourself mourning over the condition of the world. So we've seen the, the war in Ukraine just continue to, to ruin lives. As you've heard the, the treatment of refugees at borders around this world. So you heard the news of the discovery of unmarked graves of children, residential schools. If you spent time on the downtown east side, like I did for many years, and you just see the, the masses there struggling, suffering, and addiction and hardship, and your heart began to mourn. It's a cry of your heart in these moments. It's actually giving you a hint. It's, it's a nudge. It's a nod that, the, that there's, this is not the way it's supposed to be. There is a better way. There is a better life. When we feel these moments of mourning, it's actually revealing that we were created for a different kind of world. One without death and sorrow and suffering and hardship and evil and pain. We were made for a world that was not like this. And as Jesus begins to grip our hearts and we begin to mourn over the things that he mourns over, it's, it's a revelation to you and me pointing to the fact that we have a creator and a maker who made us for a world that is much better than this. And Jesus says, those who mourn over our world and not rejoice, they will be comforted. When you've come to the end of yourself and you realize your deep need for God, you begin to see a world that is chasing after the things of this world, the riches of this world. You begin to encounter people who are still striving and pursuing it. And what happens in your heart is it causes you to mourn. It causes you to cry out, to long for others to see things the way that God does. See, mourning is actually a whisper to our heart from our Creator. C.S. Lewis says it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Are you mourning? This is God speaking to your heart, declaring this is not the way it was supposed to be. Blessed are those who mourn, 
though? Why are they blessed? Because they will be comforted. They will be comforted. You see, comfort is not found in insulating your heart. And I think this is a word for some of us. I think some of us have sought comfort by insulating our heart, by trying to keep people out, by trying to not show our emotions and our pains and our struggles and our sorrow. And we just, I'm going to keep that personal. I'm going to keep you out of this. And some of us don't even bring these challenges to God, who already knows and sees everything. And we try to insulate ourselves to protect us, to keep us safe. And I'm not even calling you out. This is not a word of conviction, but a word of encouragement. Because those of us who try to insulate our hearts, it means that we've been hurt. It means that when we try to expose our heart or show our heart or or show our emotions that someone at some point rejected us or someone at some point said, gosh, stop crying. Or someone at some point said, no, we don't show emotions like that. Someone at some point had a Christian idealism in their head and said, no, no, Christians are happy. Don't be sad. You see, comfort, Jesus says, doesn't come from insulating our hearts, but actually exposing them. By revealing them. By showing how we truly feel. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think of uh, a couple years ago, my, my granddaddy passed away, and we were in the hospital room. Me and my brothers were there. And uh, we, we all know the Lord. There was something about knowing the Lord in that moment gave us such freedom, I think, to just mourn, to mourn the fact that he was passing. He was literally dying before our eyes. And we sang songs over him, and we wept tears over him. And I will tell you something. As we did that, this incredible comfort came into the room. The Spirit of God, he drew close to us. He ministered to us. It was a profound moment, I remember, as I reflect on it. Those who mourn will be comforted. I'm reminded of Psalm 23 that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Because why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, our God is a God who comforts the mourner. And that is why we are blessed. Because as we become in sync with God and his ways and we mourn the things of this world, the God who mourns with us resonates. He says, do not fear, I'm with you. Do not fear, I care for you. Cast your cares and your anxieties upon me because I care for you. As we mourn, the comforter draws close. Jessica and I were talking about this idea last night, and she brought to mind 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Some of us insulate our hearts, and then some of us begin to seek comfort from the things of this world. 
and we pursue money and we pursue relationships and we pursue sex, we pursue alcohol, we pursue achievement, we pursue fill in the blank. What is it for you to be comforted? But it is the poor in spirit saying, God, I need help. It's the mourner who says, God, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. This is where we will find comfort. Our Father is the source of comfort. Those who mourn won't just be comforted by his presence, though. But we will be comforted as we see the world made new. There will come a day when the Lord will return. There will come a day when God will make all things new. This is the promise of the scriptures. This is how the book ends. And so when people begin to get so low and so dark and so, oh man, this world is dark. Oh wow, there's incredible, you know, horrible things happening. And we, we begin to, you know, j- just despair at the state of the world. We're not meant to stay in despair. Yes, mourn. But we, we, we then move into comfort. And what is the comfort? The comfort is knowing the end of the story. The comfort is knowing that God will make all things new. The comfort is knowing that God will take, take this place and this planet and restore everything that we have destroyed. And he promises that there will be a place and there will be a day where there'll be no more mourning and no more sorrow, and no more pain, and no more difficulty, and sickness, and sadness. Because what does he say? I'm making all things new. See, the mourner will be comforted. Why? Those who are in sync with God, and their hearts mourn, will be comforted. Why? Because we will become in sync with the one who will restore and renew all things. We will know the end of the story. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These are the first two Beatitudes. And as Dale Bruner puts it, the Sermon on the Mount is spiritually speaking actually the sermon from the valley. It starts low. It starts with those who feel very unlike mountains. But the good news is that if you feel in the valley and you feel unlike a mountain, yours is the kingdom. You will be comforted. I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for today. Your values and your mindset is so upside down from what the world tells us a blessed person is. But I pray today that as we become in sync with you, you would help our hearts to become poor in spirit, recognizing our desperate need for you. Truth of the matter is we are all poor in spirit, but it's that recognition of our helplessness that makes us blessed. Jesus, I want to pray for my friends in this room who are mourning. They're in a season of deep grieving because of the way things are. I pray today by your spirit 
in their mourning, they would be met with the God of all comfort. And that you would minister to them and you would care for them and you would remind them, I will make all things new. Jesus, help us by your spirit to become beatitude people. Help us not to believe the lie that this is to be strived after. But as we pursue you, these qualities will begin to show up in our life and bubble up from within. Lord, you start low in the valley for those who feel very much unlike mountains. But I pray today that you would lift our heads, you'd minister to our hearts, and you would help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.